Well, if you have been alive for more than a moment, which all of us have because we're all breathing and, and listening to the word of the Lord being read, if we've been alive for more than a moment, we've experienced something captivating in life. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're just seeking out more understanding of faith, who is this Jesus, no matter where you're at this morning, you've, you've seen something in life that you would call captivating. Either a moment or a length of time in life where it's just like, man, everything is incredible right now. Yeah, the world's got its mess. Yeah, there's things going on that, that I don't understand. But we've all had moments that are captivating. Am I right? I think so. We've had things that stick out in our mind as amazing, wonder-filled things. And so up on the screen, there's going to be a series of pictures to, to kind of help get us started and depict this. And so if you've been to northern Washington before, you've seen the Cascade Mountains. When you look out, you go on a hike maybe, you look out, you see these mountain peaks with such authority. I think this one here is Mount Baker. You see this expanse that says, that's captivating, like, like that has my attention. If you've been to Yosemite National Park in California before, then you've been in the, the meadow, that like central area. You can look around you in a 360 bowl and just see all these granite rock faces. You can see multiple waterfalls all in one view. It depicts something incredible. If you've gotten in your car and gone west to Colorado, you've seen mountain peak after mountain peak after mountain peak. Like the Rockies just keep going from the foothills as you keep working west. It just keeps going captivating things. I remember when my wife and I got engaged. I got a piano on Facebook Marketplace for $10, not a bad deal, good-looking piano, and I had some friends move that to the parking garage behind Flat Branch because I initially, uh, that's where I asked my wife Peyton out, was at Flat Branch, so I said, hey, let's get a piano, take it to the top of this parking garage. And so sang a song that I wrote for the night before. And uh, th that was a big moment, right? That was me proclaiming my love for my wife. And it was captivating for her, captivating for me. It's like, this is crazy. Like, I'm nervous. I'm shaking while I'm playing. Captivating moment. I remember our wedding day. In many regards, not a good day, right, Peyton? Like, it, like we both had COVID for two weeks. We had to uninvite everybody to our wedding or from going to our wedding. Uh, I had lost like 15 pounds. It was raining. It was cold. October, Iowa. Bad day. At the same time, amazing though, because it was the day where we committed our love to one another for good. And the Lord blessed us with our son, Woods, and we've had so many captivating moments with him in his few months, well, not few months, his 20 months of life that he's had. It's been amazing to just watch God develop a little baby to keep growing. And so we all have something captivating that we've seen in life, that we've experienced. Think of that thing. What has captivated you in life? We all have something. The thing is, we could put a million pictures on the screen that show, oh, this was so captivating to me, but none of them will ever measure up to the beauty of the resurrection, right? Last week was Easter. It's a big deal. Easter is far more than, than going home to see your family. It's far more than reliving the, the Easter egg hunt from when you were yay high. It's far more than a social event, it's God in flesh coming to earth. It's God in flesh living a perfect life. God in flesh dying and him resurrecting from death to life. 
And so Easter is a huge deal. When we talk about captivating moments, there's, there's nothing on planet Earth that measures up to that moment where Jesus is coming out of the grave. Amen? Like, that's why we sing about it so often, because it is such a pivotal thing. One author put it well when he said, The resurrection is the pivot point of history. The linchpin of the faith, meaning the thing that holds the faith all together. We need it. If we don't have the resurrection, we're lost, right? The resurrection is the event that launched the church. And so last week, we looked at the resurrection. We've been walking through the book of John for, it feels like, years. I think it's been months, but it feels like years. We've been in John, and it culminated last week where Jesus is coming out of the grave, And this week, as we continue in John, we got two weeks left, we're going to be looking at the wonders of Christ as the resurrected king. And so he's resurrected at this point, and now we're going to be looking at what what are the captivating wonders of this resurrected Christ? And why is it important? Because we're, we're people who need to have a resurrected king in our life. And in this story that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be seeing how this resurrected king brings peace. We're going to be seeing how he brings gladness, how he brings uh, people who are in confusion. He brings them to a place of purpose. And we see people who are struggling with doubt to then find confidence in him. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to begin walking through those things so that we can see and understand the captivating wonder of the resurrected Christ. And so let's pray together this morning. Lord, we do uh, gather each week over and over to remember, to realign to the gospel, to reunite with you, God, to be with the body. And I pray that as we're in this text with one another, that we would be captivated again by the beauty of the resurrection and by the beauty of you as a resurrected king, God. I pray that as we look at the stories of disciples long ago, we can see and sense and know that your spirit uses those sort of stories for us now, God. Your word is living and active. And God, I pray that it would just pierce our heart today so that we would know you just a little bit better, love you just a little bit more faithfully, and obey you all the more, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we love Bibles out at Anthem, so go ahead and grab your Bible if you don't have it already and turn to John 20, and if you don't have it with you today, the verses will be on the screen as well. And so as we're looking at this idea of the wonders of Christ as the resurrected king, we're going to be looking at three points. First, we're going to be looking at Christ as the source of peace and gladness in the midst of fear. Have you ever been scared before? Have you been in the middle of fear before? We're going to see in this text where Jesus knows how to interact with someone who's been in fear before. We're going to see, second point, how Jesus is the source of purpose in the midst of confusion. Has there ever been anything confusing that's happened to you, happened around you? within your church, within your family, within your relationship? Has there been something confusing around you before? In this text, we're going to see that when someone's in that place, the Lord is able to realign them to purpose. And then third, we're going to be looking at Jesus as the source of perseverance in the midst of doubt. I doubted the existence of God when I was 20. Have you ever doubted him before? We're going to see in the text that even if that's been you, he brings perseverance to those who are his children. And so that's the direction we're going, and let's go ahead and read verses 19 and 20 
as we look at this first wonder of Christ bringing peace and gladness to those who are in the middle of fear. Verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The first thing that's helpful to understand here in verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day. That day is referring to Resurrection Sunday. Okay, so two evenings before, Jesus was hanging on a cross and he died. He was taken off that cross by his friends and he was buried. He was in the tomb waiting, waiting, waiting. Resurrection Sunday happens and he's alive. We're on that day of the week, first day, Sunday. And so that's where they were at. What was going on at this point? At at this point, the Jewish leaders who in victory had said, yes, we killed Jesus. We killed God. What they saw as victory quickly frustrated them because Christ raises again. For the Romans at this point, who had helped the execution process take place, they are embarrassed, right? They had their Roman guard in front of the tomb protecting, and it's like, oh yeah, nobody can get by us. It's like, well, nobody got by you from one direction, but you better believe the God of the universe just walked out from the other way. And so it's that day. Mary Magdalene at this point would have seen Jesus. She's already communicated to the other disciples, like, he's alive, he's alive. Some of them are buying it, others aren't. And so it's that day. And where are the disciples? We see that it says the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. All this has happened. And where are the disciples? Behind a locked door in fear. Why are they in fear? Matthew 28, 11 to 15 shows us. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money, a little bit of hush money, to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among Jews to this day. The disciples were in fear because they were being blamed for stealing the body. The Jews and the Romans, they're they're scrambling. What do we do about this? Like this man who claimed that he was going to come back from the dead apparently might have. So so what can we do to try to cover this up? We don't want people to follow him, right? We've hated him all along because we don't want people to follow him. We want him to follow us. And so here they are in this moment full of fear, probably believing that the Jews are going to be coming after them, right? The the disciples, I don't know that they had been to war before, but I bet it felt like war was about to begin. Or maybe war had already begun, and they're like, man, we're just going right back to the trenches. They're in fear because people are going to be coming after them. And so that's where they're at. But where's Jesus in this? Even though the disciples are locked behind a door hiding in fear. What we see next is Jesus showing up in a very familiar way. Second part of verse 19, it says, Jesus came and stood among them 
and said to them, Peace be with you. Christ comes into that moment and says, Peace be with you. Jesus knew the maddening emotional blend of the grief of loss. That with watching this violence take place. Some of them were there as he was being beaten, likely. Some were there at the crucifixion. They had witnessed so much. They had lost their Savior and who they believed to be their God. And so Jesus knew they were in this place. He knew the disciples were in that spot. After he raised us from the dead, he knew that Mary Magdalene was, was grieving the loss of a close friend. He knew that the disciples were going to be blamed for stealing the body. And so what does he do? Jesus knows how to show up. And he shows up bringing peace. Another word for that in the original text would be rest or wholeness. He comes into that moment, so much going on, and he brings peace, rest, and wholeness. In Philippians 4, I think it encapsulates this so well. A verse that many people have probably memorized before. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. So they have all this stuff going on. Yet Jesus comes and he brings this sturdy and stable peace. Peace to their chaos in the middle of their storm that's going on. While the disciples were locked up in fear, Jesus comes and he unlocks a jarring moment so that they could experience peace. And it's not just peace. In verse 20 it says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so evidence of him being raised from the dead. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It was this peace with gladness. They're in fear. They don't know what's going on. And Christ shows up and brings them peace and gladness. Have you ever had something crazy happen to you or around you, either when you're by yourself or maybe with a group of people? And you're just like, what just happened? What do I do right now? Like maybe it's a car accident. Maybe uh, there's some other tragedy that you went. It's just something crazy going on. Maybe you're a student and it's like the teacher went out of the room and we didn't know what to do. You know, like there's so many different reasons why we might feel like, what do we do right now? Like, like where are we at? What, what are we supposed to do? I'm in fear. The, the leader's gone. What do we do? That's where they were at. And what a feeling it is when someone comes into that moment, when you're in the middle of fear, and somebody shows up and they actually bring that peace and gladness, that quiet voice in the room or that steady voice in the room or that person taking charge saying, hey guys, I know we just saw a lot, but here's what we need. Here's what you need to hear to have that person. That's what was going on for the disciples. Christ was showing up in the middle of that and he was the peace and gladness for them. Maybe you've been a, a victim of a, a terrible circumstance. Maybe you've had just really tough things going on in life before and it's put you in a place of fear. Maybe right now or in the past. Maybe you and your spouse are trying to get pregnant and it's just not happening and you're like, God, like if you love us, surely you will. Or maybe you and your spouse are in the middle of some conflict or, or you and some friends at school uh, got caught doing something and you're like, shoot, well now this, the law is chasing me. What do I do about that? We've been in fear before where it feels like we're either being chased or we're not being chased and we're just all alone and it's like scary and what do we do with this? If that's you or been you, what we see in this text is that peace and gladness that Christ brought for his disciples. We as believers get a partake in that. 
And so even if all this stuff is going on, we can have the peace and gladness of God. Talk about captivating. That's the captivating nature of our God, that when we are in the middle of fear, he shows up. And he shows up not just bringing, you know, hey, keep going, but bringing direction, bringing encouragement, bringing peace, and bringing gladness. Christ coming out of the tomb matters because it means we can come out of any sort of fear with peace and gladness. How so? Through us fearing and revering and and standing in awe before this resurrected king. As we stand in awe of him, we don't have to fear the world. As we revere him, as we're on our knees before him, understanding that he is over all, he is sovereign As we're in that place, we then don't have to let the kingdom of this world overcome us. But instead, we can have this peace. We can have this gladness. And it's that resurrected presence of God in that moment that was giving the disciples hope. Right? They felt pretty hopeless. What do we do now? And he shows up with peace and gladness. Let's look at verses 21 to 23. See the second wonder of Christ. Verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Christ, the the resurrected king, in this moment, he's not just bringing them peace. He's not just bringing them gladness, but he's also bringing them purpose. They're in the middle of a confusing thing. And Christ directs them. You can see that in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's connect the dots here. What's going on? For the last three years, the disciples primarily have been following after Christ. Christ has been doing these great works. Christ has been preaching. Christ has been carrying this load, this burden of ministry. And they followed, and they followed, and they followed. Even before that, some of them, they they were fishermen, but they were young men, and so they probably had followed other people to learn how to be good fishermen. Matthew, the, the tax collector, likely followed another tax collector so, so he could know how to be a decent Tax collector, right? Important job, especially this time of year. And so they had been following, following, following. Now they're in this confusing place. Their Lord had just been killed. The people they were following no longer seemed to be leading them. Oh, wait, he's alive now. And now their lives are at stake because they're being blamed for stealing the body. And their future felt like it was in shambles, like you've been there before, maybe. Or it just feels like, man, everything's going wrong right now, so then next week's going to be rough too. Just confusing, head-spinning stuff. That's where they're at. But what does Jesus do? He gives them direction. He brings that peace. He brings that gladness. But he also sends them, realigns them back to this purpose. In the middle of confusion, Jesus realigns us as God's hand directing us into the 
next part of our journey, and that's what he's doing for the disciples here. He says, even so, I am sending you. And he's shifting their, their purpose from not just following after Jesus and watching him doing ministry, but Jesus to them is saying, now you're going to be doing this work. It's a huge transition point where the early church is going to become the early church. The age of Christ is transitioning into the age of the church. We can see this in verse 22. It says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The same breath of God that would have spoke creation into existence you know, the mountains from earlier, spoken them into existence, spoken the seas into existence, the same breath of God that would have helped Adam breathe for the first time. Jesus is now using that same breath with his disciples as a symbol of what's to come in the Holy Spirit being given to them at Pentecost in the book of Acts. And so he's breathing on them saying, yeah, I'm sending you, and it's not in your own power, but it's with this Spirit. And so he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Has your life, has your walk with the Lord, your relationship with God, has your relationships, has there been confusion surrounding you in life? Either from things that have to do with you or things that don't have to do with you. Things in the church, things outside of the church, things in your family, things with friends. Are there things that have been confusing? What we're seeing in this text is that even if we're in a place of confusion, there's a God of peace who will meet us there. He'll bring us gladness and he'll also redirect us with purpose. And that's a captivating thing. When we're in a place of confusion, we need that. Right? We need somebody with, with this clear, calm demeanor, this voice saying, this is what you got to do. And that's what God's word, his spirit within us gets to be. We have his peace, we have his gladness, and then we also get to keep going after the purpose that he gives us, even if what's going on is confusing. And I think we can all agree what was happening here for the disciples was pretty confusing. But Jesus shows up and he helps them out. They were probably unsure of what was up and what was down, what was left, what was right. They were trying to figure out life. And Jesus comes into that setting and he redirects them. Jesus can turn followers, even confused people, into people of purpose. And for the disciples, that, that was the sort of purpose that sent them to begin the early church. Let's move on to 24 and 25 to see the third wonder of Christ as this source of perseverance. In 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in the side, I will never believe. When Thomas heard the news that Jesus is alive, he did not buy it. He did not believe it. I think we all have that friend who's kind of like the, the trial by fire person, who's like pretty skeptical about stuff. And like, until I get all the evidence, I am not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe that story. I'm not going to believe that that program actually works for people. 
And they're just like, I'm going to stay in the background and you do that, but I don't know. That's who Thomas was. And that's who we are sometimes too. It's not just a friend. Sometimes it's us, right? And so Thomas was in that spot. But what do we know of him before this part? Like this, this man's been knocked pretty hard all throughout church history. Doubting Thomas. What's wrong with this guy? Man, I'm way better than doubting Thomas. What do we know of him before this? In John 11, it says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. He was a courageous follower of Christ. He was ready to follow Christ by his words to the point of death. And so what he's saying is, that, yeah, if Jesus is dying, like, like I'm going to be ready to die too. We see that in John 11. In John 14, we also see this curiosity in him that, that's just wondering, how can I keep being with Christ even if he goes away? And so we can see that in John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, yeah, I think we can villainize Thomas a little bit and say, yeah, what, what were you doing, man? But at the same time, he had been a courageous follower of Christ. For three years, he had been following Christ. Where he went, he went. And he had a moment of unbelief. He had a time where he just wasn't so sure. The man he had been following was killed. Pretty logical. Can't follow him anymore. Then his friend said, yeah, he's alive. And it's like, are you? Yeah, uh-huh. Are you sure? Like, that's not possible. He was in a little season of doubt. And I think that's understandable that he was there. And so what does Jesus do with it? That's what Thomas is doing with it. He's skeptical, you know, and we're judging him 2,000 years later. But what does Jesus do with it? We see in 26 to 29, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, so still kind of living in fear. And Thomas was with them. He didn't jump out of community just because things got tough. He stayed in. I love that. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have belief. Jesus gave Thomas the evidence that he was looking for. Thomas was in a spot where he had doubt and Jesus sees that and he goes after Thomas. He knows that, and so in love, Christ is persevering to say, like, he's one of mine. I need to show him. I, I need to let him see my hands. I need him to see my side. Like, this happened, and I'm alive, and he needs to see that. He perseveres with love for Thomas, though he doubted. And what's Thomas's response? He says, my Lord and my God, right? He, he was humbled by it. He didn't say, no, this is just some hologram. He, he, he was ready to say, yeah, my Lord and my God. The courageous Thomas was going to continue in the faith with this courage that God was giving him and the evidence that he saw. 
Jesus provided Thomas with perseverance when Thomas was in doubt. And, and I think that's important to see because what, what Thomas wasn't doing was willing up enough strength to believe. It was Christ who was giving him this perseverance because it was Christ who was showing up alongside of him. In his place of doubt, Jesus shows up. And for those that are his children, that's what Jesus does. He gives us that perseverance even if we've been in doubt. Doubt about is God there? Doubt about, you know, is God good? Doubt about does he care about me, our community, our church, this, that. For those who are his children, he seeks us out with love. I think a trend that we have to see here in the text as well, and we can see it with Mary, we can see it with the disciples, we can see it with Thomas, is that over and over, Jesus is meeting people right where they need to be met. For Mary, she's broken, broken in spirit, trying to figure out, okay, my Lord and my God is now gone he interacts with her in the garden and says, Mary, he makes himself known to her. What does he do for the disciples? They're, they're hiding in fear, right? There's a locked door right here, and the disciples are behind it. And what does Jesus do? He shows up. He meets them in their place of fear. And he provides peace and gladness. And what do we see with Thomas? He's given Thomas eight days of space, right? Thomas is trying to figure out who is God. Is there a God? I don't know. Who is Jesus? Jesus is gone. Some are saying Jesus is alive. He's having his world just turned upside down, struggling with doubt. What does Jesus do, though? He goes after him. He perseveres. And, and what we have to see and know and love about Jesus is that he meets people where they are at in the way that they need to be met. And right after this, in the final verses, we see this affirmed. In 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What that's saying there is that there's, there's so many stories. Like we have all the gospel stories of what Jesus was doing. And this is saying that there's so many more stories that happened, where Jesus was showing this persevering love. Even when people are in doubt, even when they're confused, even when they're in fear, there's story after story of Jesus meeting them where they're at. So many stories that all the books in the world couldn't explain it. And that's the captivating glory and wonder of our God, is that he seeks us out in that way, story after story, that's maybe some of you, your story. He sought me out when I was in this place. That's my story. Sought me out when I was in doubt. He seeks us out when we're, we're in sin. He seeks us out when, when we've just dropped the ball and we've hurt somebody's feelings or we've created some conflict. He meets us where we're at. And he provides forgiveness. We don't see him yelling at Thomas. We don't see him mocking Thomas. We don't see him cussing out Thomas. He gives him the evidence that he was looking for, and he keeps walking with him. That's the captivating wonder of the resurrected king. An underlying thing that I saw in this text, too, was we don't just have evidence of Christ bringing people this peace and gladness. We don't just have evidence of Christ bringing people purpose or bringing people to a place of perseverance 
we also see evidence of Christ playing offense while the disciples are on defense. And here's what I mean by that. The disciples are hiding behind a locked door. And we don't know how Jesus got in that room. We don't know if he was like a master locksmith and like picked that lock and it's like, hey, just so you know, I can do this with doors. Like we don't know if he did like some teleportation thing. We don't know if he kicked the door down. All we know is that Jesus showed up when the disciples were sitting back and he was showing the offensive in a good way that God is on to persevere after us. And the beautiful thing that we get to hear as a church from this text too is that when we're in that spot, when we're wanting to play defense, but we're following a God that plays offense, we are to, yes, sit in defense sometimes, reflect, work through things, but we are never told to spend the rest of our life in fear. We're never told to spend the rest of our life in confusion or in doubt. God works with us when we're there, and then he calls us to go on mission with him. And so we never have a permission slip to check out. And if you believe that's the story of the gospel, you're missing it because God has actually invited us to be going forward in the faith with him so that more people could see this persevering love of God. And so as you think about your walk with Jesus, if you're following after him, have you been living in fear? Have you been living in doubt and confusion? If so, Christ can meet you there. And if so, Christ is calling you to take his mission forward. He's, he's giving you purpose. He's reminding us that we don't just play defense. We, we go on offense with the persevering king. And so that's not to say sometimes we're not gonna be stuck in a place of fear. Like sometimes we are, and we're gonna get confused, and we're gonna doubt things, and we're gonna wish things were different. But for a believer, God calls us to work through that and then to keep going with him. And so where are you at in, in fear this morning? Like, are, are you in a place where it's, yeah, I'm not really sharing the gospel with people. I just don't know what to say. It's probably out of fear. Like, I, I don't know what to say. What can I do? Maybe there's a circumstance going on where it's just like, this is beyond me. I, I, I can't fix it. And, and you're right, you probably can. So with that, going to the Lord and saying, God, would you be with me in this? And would you help me to know what to do? Because I don't know what to do. Where are you living in fear this morning? Where are you living in confusion? Like sometimes it feels like we wake up on planet Earth and it's like our, our head was just stuck in the sand all night. And then we like come out of the sand and we're like, wait, what's going on? Like, who am I? What's my purpose? What's going on here? We get confused. And where have you been confused in life and how can Christ meet you there and show you that he's still good and show you that he still has purpose for you? Or maybe you're in doubt and it's been months since you've really like felt God. It just seems like he's a million miles away. If that's you, he's, he's saying, I, I'm gonna help you persevere for those who are mine. I'm gonna meet you where you're at. And so if that's you this morning, just continuing to surrender to Christ, God, I, I don't sense you. I don't feel you. I, I, I don't see you out here working in this. But Lord, I know that you're there and I'm going to keep meeting with you because as I look at scripture, as I look at these other blessings in my life, I can see that you're good. And so if you're in the room this morning and, and not following after Christ, 
you're just checking out Christianity, checking out what it looks like to follow after Jesus, I believe the call in this text is to surrender to the resurrected king. Like there's something very unique about the fact that our whole world is built on this calendar that's based off Jesus Christ. Like have you ever thought of that before? Like zero, you know, and then 33 AD and like, wait, who's Jesus? And BC, AD, what's that? Like before Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Like our whole world calendar has been based off of this God man named Jesus Christ. And so if you're in here this morning and you're like, man, I feel lost God has an invitation for you to find life in him through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you do that by confessing your sins before him and calling him Lord. And then you begin this new journey as a child of God. And for some of you, maybe that's today. And if you've made that commitment and you would say, yeah, I've been following Jesus for years and, and I just want to keep following after him in such a godly way. The text is calling us as believers to a couple things. I think first... It's to hold fast to this wonder-filled king. There, there's parts of us that need restored in life, right? And for you, this morning, it, it is clinging to Christ. As Even though this is going on, even though I'm in fear, even though I'm confused, even though I'm doubting, it's clinging to Christ. Not trying to just get through out of your own will, but just humbling yourself before him, saying, Lord, I, I just, it's you. And I must follow you and be with me. And I think that's the first call. It's to surrender that, whatever thing's going on, to the Lord. And secondly, it's letting Christ's offense seek you out and to move you out of defense and onto offense too. And if you're like, I don't like sports, then I'll just try to explain it a little bit more. But it's like, if we're hiding behind this door, if we're living in fear and there's this, this wall and Jesus has just permeated it, come through and it's like, all right, Lord, you're with me. You're bringing me peace. You're bringing me gladness. He is then calling you to get out of that place to then go into the world and then be a great picture of what it looks like to faithfully follow after Christ. Christ, someone who's provided you peace. Christ, someone who's provided you with gladness with purpose. And I think that second part is so important, that we don't just receive his peace and gladness, but that we also show that, so that the world can be, be seeing the stability of Christ in us as we're going through whatever we're going through. Jesus breathed on us so that we can live. He didn't breathe on us just so we sit. Right? I heard it said in a church one time, like, we, we can't try to take on armchair Christianity where we just sit in a couch and accept the gospel and call it good. We receive the grace, we receive the peace, we receive the gladness. And with the Holy Spirit within us, we then live so that the world would know, love, and obey Him. And so this morning, what is God? calling you to do? What are the fears to leave as a thing of the past? What are the confusing things that you need to bring before him? And what is the doubt that you might need to surrender to him? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word as a guide in our life. We thank you for your spirit that helps us interpret and understand it. We thank you for your work on the cross that paid for our sin. And God, I just pray over this church that as we're 
doing what we know how to know, love, and obey you here in Columbia, God, that, that you would just have your hand in our lives as individuals, as a community, the small groups, the, the church leaders. God, would we have this desire out of love for you to be people who see you as this captivating and wonder-filled King of Kings who went from death to life so that we can live. God, would we be ready to surrender the things that are doubts, surrender the fears, surrender the things that are confusing, and would we be able to see the peace and gladness that you can bring us? We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.